It's nice to be here. Every time we come together to uh, be part of church, it's a great thing. Amen. It makes our weekend. It sets us up for the week, right? Amen. Good. So as Shane said, I really appreciated his welcome this morning for uh, my family. And I, my name is Justin. I'm one of the Waters Church pastors. I'm here today. Tim is at Norwood uh, today preaching there. Tommy uh, is in South Africa. He's at a conference there, so we're all getting around. It's nice. It's exciting. And uh, it really is good to see everybody. I've got a, a very simple, but I believe very powerful message for this morning. It's powerful because it's from the Word of God. It's powerful because it's Scripture. The Bible is powerful. It's powerful when it's mixed with the Holy Spirit's and receptive hearts and brings change to us. So the message that I have for this morning is called, Ten Lies That the Father of Lies Would Want You to Believe. Ten Lies That the Father of Lies Would Want You to Believe. The Father of Lies being who? The devil. We don't like him. I remember Michaela, our, our daughter, she went to a preschool, and she had a lovely Christian principal at the preschool. And she, whenever any of the kids said, we don't hate anyone, if, anybody, if any of the kids said they hate something or they hate someone, she would say, no, listen, we don't hate anyone, we only hate the devil. <laughs> it's true. We only hate the devil, we hate the father of lies. Now, the thing about the devil is that he seems to be very clever with words. He's got a real way with words. He's got a way with twisting words and asking questions in such a way that if we listen and if we are taken in by what he says, it can bring about catastrophe. Just ask Adam and Eve about that. If you don't know the story of how Satan tempted Adam and Eve, you can read it in Genesis. It's a very upsetting story because it influences us today. So, and the reason the devil lies to us is because he hates us. He hates us even more than I think we hate him. He really despises us, especially uh, if we are Christians, because we have been recreated in the image of God, because we have been saved, captured, uh, rescued by our King Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're kind of new to Christianity or you're checking it out, don't feel like you're off the hook. Satan hates you also. <laughs> he does. And so what we want to do is to be aware of the things that he'll try and do to us, the things that he'll say to us specifically, to try and trip us up or to try and trap us. Now, he lies to us for a number of reasons. One of the reasons he lies to us is to immobilize us, to stop us from moving, to stop us from being effective, to stop us from growing. And so he'll tell some lies just to keep us still, put our hands together, put our feet together, and to stop us from moving, keep us prison, prisoner. Keep us in a prison of words. The other reason that he might lie to us is to cause us to lose faith. Or he will rob faith from us. Steal faith from us. Faith is something that can grow and it is also something that can be lost. And the devil can do that just with words. It's cause us to give of our faith or to rob our faith in God. Our belief in God. Our trust in Him and His provision for us. His salvation that He won for us. He can cause us to lose that. The other thing that He wants to do is cause us to isolate ourselves. To separate ourselves from the pack, so to speak. Making us vulnerable. You may have heard of the illustration of a flame or a fireplace that's built up with coals. If you take one coal from the fireplace and separate it and put it by itself, it'll burn out fairly quickly much quicker than it would if it was contained within the group of coals. 
If you were to split that whole group of burning coals up and separate all of them into individuals, it would burn out so much quicker than it would if they were all kept together. That's what the devil wants to do is isolate you, separate you from the believers. And the other thing that he wants to do is rob our joy. Rob our joy. You know, as Christians, we should be joyful people, filled with the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and we should be happy. One of the things, one of the reasons why we sing is because we're happy. We praise, we celebrate uh, in front of God, in front of one another because of what He's done for us. And the devil wants any chance that he can to rob our joy, to steal our joy. And uh, so we want to be aware of that. When, Jesus, when the Satan, that old father of lies, Lucifer, was tempting Jesus in the desert, he was doing the same thing, trying to trip him up, trying to trap him with words. And how did Jesus respond to him eventually? He said, man shall not live on bread alone, on the things of this world, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So where Satan will bring words against us, lies against us, we respond with the Word of God. So what I'm going to do is go through 10 lies that the devil might try and speak over your life, and then we're going to bring about 10 corresponding scriptures with which you can cut away that lie. Sound alright? Some of these lies will seem ridiculous to you, and you'll think, how can somebody honestly believe that about themselves? But some people do. Some of the lies, hopefully, I'm hoping that for the majority, if not all of us here this morning, that as we go through this list, that none of them are relevant to us as individuals. That's good. If we get through this morning and we can say, nope, none of those are relevant to me, then praise God, because we're living in the freedom that He has won for us. But there's a chance for non-Christians and Christians that the devil continues to sow seeds, continues to sow these lies. And there might be even things that the Holy Spirit prompts you and says, this is something that you believe which is not from me, that I don't even mention. So let's have open hearts. If we get through this and we realize that we're good, we're in the clear, then what we want to be doing is arming ourselves with these scriptures so that we can bring freedom to others as we interact with them in our daily lives. That's the plan for the morning. Sound all good? When we finished going through these, we're going to do a bit of ministry. We're going to pray for people who feel like they have let these lies settle over them like blankets of darkness that they can't see through and they can't move through. And so we're going to call you up and we're going to say, that's it. Let's do business. Let's sort this out once and for all. Okay. So big lie number one, you are a mistake. You are a mistake. And in the day and age that we live in, it's very possible for people to grow up thinking that they are a mistake. Perhaps they didn't have a loving mom and a dad who came together and and planned for this season of their life that they want to have children, and and the baby was conceived out of love and out of the forethought and the foreknowledge that we want to raise a family. It could be that it was an unplanned or an unexpected pregnancy. It could be the result of something more violent, and the person grows up thinking, my parents, I don't even know who my dad is. I'm not sure who my mom is. I, I don't know if they even wanted me. This happened by mistake, and it can be just this subtle subliminal blanket that settles over people's lives and, and causes them to doubt why they are even alive. And that is a lie that the devil will put over people saying, you are a mistake. You're not even supposed to be here. And the Word of God comes against that with something so loving and something so compassionate from one of our favorite scriptures. Who knows the scripture? Psalm 139. That's right. He knows it off by heart. Psalm 139. Let's read it together. For you, O Lord, created me in my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. They're not a mistake. They're not bad timing. Your works are wonderful. Even if man hasn't planned your existence on earth, God did. People can't create people. God breathes life into a soul. This is God's doing. You are God's workmanship. He says, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Friends, God wrote all your days in His book, His, your whole life, ahead of you before you were even conceived. You are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. And you can't live with that kind of mentality ever. You cannot. Because God planned for you to be here for this time, for this day, for this age, and for this area that you live in. For the people that you interact with. That was God's plan. You are not a mistake. Good. One down. <laughs> number two. Number two. Big line number two. You are invisible. Right. Horrible one. Nobody likes that feeling of being invisible. Many of us have felt it at different times of our lives when you know you're in a place that nobody knows you and nobody cares that you're there. And that feeling that you're invisible and the devil says you're invisible. People don't see you. People don't notice you. What are you doing here? What are you worth? What are you worth? And God says, in the book of Zechariah chapter 2, He says, whoever touches them, touches the apple of my eye. Whoever touches them, touches the apple of my eye. Do you know that phrase, the apple of his eye? If my children and my wife are the apple of my eye. So if they were to walk out now, even though I'm preaching, I'm thinking about a scripture, I'm trying to engage you, I would watch them the whole way while I carry on preaching. And if they were to sneak back into the doors at the back while I'm focusing here, I would notice them straight away because they're the apple of my eye. My eye doesn't miss them. I see them. I'm looking out for them all the time. You are the apple of God's eye. You are not invisible. He sees you all the time and He looks upon you with love with affection. Where are my children? And he's watching and he's gazing. We are the apple of God's eye. We are never, ever invisible to God Almighty. Even when it feels like we don't hear him, it feels like we don't see him. He sees you and you are not invisible. That's number two. Number three. Let's go on. Number three, you only make mistakes. You only or you always make mistakes. And I remember going through two, now recently, three phases in my life where I went through a patch where I just made one blunder after the next. One mistake after the next. It happened in my teenage years where I was just being an idiot. And I would do one stupid thing after the next, day after day. And it wasn't, I wasn't a rebellious teenager. I wasn't trying to rebel against my parents or the household. I, I was a Christian guy. I loved my parents. I loved the Lord. But every day, every couple of days, I would do something idiotic. And my parents, would, they would discipline me, and they'd say, I don't understand why you're doing these things. And I'd say, I don't understand why either. I'd go to my room, sit there depressed. Nobody understood what was going on. I believe the term for this is puberty. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what's going on? And it was a phase where I just sat thinking, Who, what am I doing? This is pathetic. I'm just making mistakes all the time. And... Uh, 
then I kind of got through that, fortunately, through the teenage years. I survived, so did my parents. And uh, then it happened again, would you believe it? Marriage. <laughs> I got into marriage, and I, I was such a, such a well-put-together young adult. I knew what was going on. Then I got married, was clueless all over again, and making one blunder after the next. Kerry's looking at me, why are you doing what are you doing? <laughs> I think, I don't, know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. And just feel like a, like a simpleton, you know? Like, what, what is this? Why am I doing this kind of thing? And now recently, unfortunately, it's happened for the third time. Uh, having moved countries, having relocated again, I don't know what's going on. We had, a, we had a, you know, epic fail. I had an epic fail on Friday. Uh, I joined a gym in December. I haven't been yet, but I joined the gym in December. <laughs> LA Fitness, and the reason I, I kind of haven't gone is because I really want for Kerry and I to go together. So uh, on Thursday or Friday, I heard on the radio that Planet Fitness was having a special. Uh, it was a really good deal, sign-up special. So I said, great, this is it. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. It's so much cheaper that I'm, than, than I'm paying, and maybe I'll be able to switch it around, and we'll be able to go together and, and do it cheaper. So I got home. I told Kerry I was so excited. I, I filled in the form online, gave all my bank details. Then on Friday, we got up early, got the family together, put on our gym clothes for the first time in who knows how long, went to the gym, and uh, I told the girl there, I said, listen, I signed up online yesterday, I'm so excited for this, and uh, she said, okay, just give me the phone number, so I gave her the phone number, didn't, didn't pick up anything, I gave her my phone number, didn't work, gave her their last name, gave her the first name, started giving all this information, I'm thinking, what's going on now? So then I say to Kerry, just pass me your phone, let's show her the email to show that I've actually signed up. So she looks at the email, and she looks at me, ah. Oh, you just signed up for Planet Fitness. We're LA Fitness. <laughs> Blunder. Epic fail. Kerry is so used to this by now, she just looks at me. <laughs> and this happens pretty often these days. <laughs> I'm hoping to pass through the season, come out stronger on the other side. But it, what I've realized with hindsight, though, is that there are those moments in life where we do just make one mistake after the next, one blunder after the next. And it's because it's a new season. It's a new phase of life. God takes us as His people from one degree of glory to the next. And in each degree, we need to be trained for what's coming up. Listen to this scripture from Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read Hebrews a lot this, tonight, this morning. He says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. If I think of my parents, if through those awkward teenagers, if they didn't discipline me, I would have been a pretty useless adult. But it was that training, that disciplining through that awkward phase that I grew up and grew through it says, we've had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while. Let's move on. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's not nice to make mistakes. It's unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. No one uh, enjoys it, but later it produces a harvest. In other words, growth, fruit, multiplication. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
If you find yourself in a new season of life and you're making one mistake after the next and you're feeling lame and the devil is saying, why don't you just give it up? You're just making one mistake after the next. You put your head up high and you say, I'm getting back into this because God is training me for things that are to come. I'm going to be stronger, fitter, more alert, more aware, more powerful, more aggressive towards the works of the devil on the other side of this. So that's a good one. I like it especially because I'm going through it. <laughs> Number three. Number four. There's the apple of my eye. <laughs> All right, number four. Your efforts are pointless. Whatever you're working towards, whatever you're trying to achieve, they, it is pointless. You may as well give up. You've been trying this for so long, give it up. Whether it's your business, your family, your relationships, things that you've felt God put inside of you, a ministry, and, and you feel like, I've tried this for a long time and I'm not getting anywhere. One of my favorite characters, one of my, favorite, one of my heroes is a man named William Wilberforce, a British man who over the course of his life put an end to the slave trade, which is the, slave, the trading of human beings for slavery, and slavery itself in Britain. It took him 20 years to, to abolish the slave trade. 20 years, and then another 20 years on top of that to put an end to slavery itself. 40 years. You would think maybe after having a crack at it single-mindedly for 10 years, he would say, listen, I've done everything I can. This is too big for me. I can't do it. After 10 years, maybe after 15 years, maybe after 19 years, he says, I've done this for almost 20 years. I'm giving up. 20 years it broke. 20 years. Friends, God has put things inside of you. He has put plans inside of you. Let's read it quick. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has plans for us and He puts them in our hearts. He puts them in us. They're not going to happen quick, quick. For some of us, we've got to work and it may be years and years and years without seeing any fruit. And I want to say to you, don't give up. If there are things that God has put inside of you, carry on going. Surround yourself with people who are going to do it with you, who are going to encourage you, who are going to keep that vision alive, keep it alive. Don't give up. Keep at it. For some of you, you've got the dream inside of you and you've thought to yourself, I don't know if I should even start this because I know what's going to be required. I'm counting the cost and I don't know if I, if I can do it. For some of you, God is saying, do it. Get cracking. Start now. Do it. Consider the plans that God has for you because He has plans for you. And get into them. Apply yourself to them. Persevere. Your efforts are not pointless by no means. Number five. This is a big one, especially in church circles. Nobody appreciates you. Nobody appreciates you. You know what the terrible thing about this one is? That it actually might be true. Could be the truth. This is where the devil might be right. That nobody appreciates you. It could be that the things you're doing, nobody is noticing them. Nobody uh, appreciates them. Nobody says anything about them. And they just say, oh, there he is doing his thing. And they don't understand what it is that you're putting into it. And the problem is when we let ourselves think that people aren't appreciating us, is that we start to get a little bit bitter why am I bothering to do this? Why am I putting this effort in for these people? Nobody's noticing. Perhaps it's not even helping anyway. 
<coughs> and what happens is <coughs> we start withdrawing, isolating ourselves. That's exactly what the devil wants. <coughs> what should we be doing instead? Where it may be true that people aren't appreciating us. Matthew chapter 6 addresses this. 6 verse 1. Jesus is talking and he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Be careful not to do it before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. No reward. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the street, to be honored by men. When you're serving, when you're doing the things that you do, don't make a big display of it. Don't time it so that you're doing it right as everybody is walking into church. Maximum crowd, maximum visibility. Do it in secret. So what he says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. If you, what you're looking for is reward from men, appreciation from men, and you get it, that's all you get. That's your reward, start to finish. There is something more in store for you, though. It says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing. You can be secretive about it. Be secretive about it. Uh, when you, okay, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that, that you're giving maybe in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It's a funny one because especially, especially here, we love to celebrate our giving, our charity. You know, some of the biggest uh, talk shows on TV are the ones that just give things away. We've got a car for everyone in the audience. Reach under your seat, you've got to find your key or whatever it is. You know, you remember those days? Maybe not. Maybe that's what we saw in South Africa. <laughs> but uh, there's, a, there's a demonstration of what we're doing. They've received their reward in full. Friends, you and I as Christians, we do things differently. We do things for the Lord to glorify Him. We bless people, but we do it for Him first. And our reward is from Him. Our reward is from Him. He appreciates what it is that we're doing. Our appreciation comes, needs to come from Him. That's what we value the most. That's number five, halfway through. Number six, your circumstances are a reflection of who you are. So it might be that you find yourself in a terrible circumstance, chaotic, poverty, debt-ridden, bad relationships, all that kind of thing, just a mess of a circumstance, and you sit in it, and the devil is saying to you, you see, look around you, this is because of who you are. This is your mess. You started this. You caused this. You're worth this. This is, this is your thing. Now, for many people, that might be the truth. It might be that they are simply living in the result of their own actions, the consequence of their own actions. But many times, that's not the case. Especially as Christians, God would have us go through difficult times, through torturous times even, to get us through something or for His glory, for His benefit, or for the benefit of people around us. There was a man named Paul in the New Testament, an apostle. And if we were to judge him by his circumstances, we would say, Paul, you have messed up big time, brother. Things are not looking good for you. I don't know why you're in this situation all the time, but it is bad. Let me read something from a day in the life of Paul. Acts chapter 16. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be bitten, uh, what bitten? stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. 
Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul, not looking like a good day, what have you done? But Paul knew that he, in spite of this, stripped and beaten, flogged severely, he was in the very center of the will of God. Isn't that unbelievable? In the prison, sitting there in the prison, he could say to himself, Paul, this is not good. But instead, what does he do? He sings. He sings. Friends, there might be some of you who for some reason, and it might be God's purposes, are finding yourself in an incredibly difficult circumstance. It might be chaotic. It might be uncomfortable. It might be, you might realize that it's not your own doing. It's not your own sin that's caused you to land up in here. And the devil is trying to say to you, look at who you are. You're a mess. Everything around you is a mess. You know what you need to do? Sing. 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 Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Fix your hope on Him and watch Him as your deliverer come and break open those prison doors, walking you through. Watch how, where you find yourself in the midst of these uncomfortable circumstances and you sing, your praise, your joy spreads. It is a light that continues to ripple through into that place of darkness. Martin Luther King, one of the amazing things that he says to me is, not to me, but in his writing, in his speeches, he says, if you get thrown into a prison, then go in there with every bit of the light of the gospel and you make that dark place a light place. If they were thrown into prison because of that civil uprising. So your circumstances are not always a reflection of who you are. Not always. In the midst of it, stand. In the midst of it, sing. All right, let's move on. Number seven. You will forever live in the consequence of your sin. You've messed up, and this thing is going to haunt you for the rest of your life. You're going to drag this cannonball behind you for the rest of your life, and I'm going to tell you about it every chance I get. We have messed up. We have done stupid things. And it might be that we live with the practical consequence and ramification of what it is that we've done. But let me tell you, that thing no longer defines us. It's more important what we get saved into than what we got saved out of. It's not what we get saved out of that defines us. It's our future. It's what's ahead of us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is our verse that we rebut against this with. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation, a new creation. The old things are gone, and the new things have come. We are no longer the consequence. We are no longer defined by the consequence of our past. We're not defined by that at all. I love this from Lamentations 3. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. So many times we look at the things that we've done, and we say, My, I should be consumed by this. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. We are not consumed by this. For His compassions never fail, or His mercy never fails. In fact, they are new every morning. They are new every morning. You wake up tomorrow morning, God, your mercies are new. What is behind me is gone, and what is coming ahead of me is new. That's good. Great is His faithfulness. This is another one. This is a big one. Uh, and this one is, is uh, why bother confessing and repenting if you just know you're going to do this sin again. 
Why bother confessing again? You've, you've confessed before. You've repented before. Why bother? You know you're going to do it again. And this one is particularly for people who find themselves bound, not yet totally free, in addiction or habits or something that keeps creeping up. This is by no means an excuse to keep sinning. In fact, the Bible exhorts us. He says, you have, not even, you have not yet resisted temptation to the point of shedding blood. We do everything we can to pursue righteousness, holiness. We crucify ourselves. We pluck out our eye if it causes us to sin. But there are these times where somebody might do the thing that they hate. And they sit there trapped in guilt. And the devil says, don't you even dare go back to the Father of holiness and say you're sorry. How many times have you been sorry before? How many times have you gone through this before? And so we sit covered in guilt, immobilized, joy robbed, faith gone. There's a wonderful scripture in Matthew chapter 6 where Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if somebody sins against me in a day, how many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus replies, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. As if to say, whatever number you're thinking of, multiply it exponentially. If Jesus says that to man, how much more compassionate and gracious is he to us? Slow to anger, rich in love. Now that doesn't mean that we can carry on sinning and just say, good, I can keep doing what I'm doing, Jesus I'm sorry I did this again. Sorry I did it again. And carry on doing. We wage war against the, the desires of our carnal nature. We starve them. We crucify them. But if we mistake, we go back to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And you know what he says? Every time, I forgive you. I love you. My blood which was shed on the cross prevails for you. What point was that? That was number eight. All right, number nine, you have disqualified yourself. You have disqualified yourself from ministry, from participation in church, from being able to raise your hands in worship, from your family. You have disqualified yourself. Whatever you've done, whatever you thought qualified you, it's over. Again, let's turn to Paul again. This guy was something else. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, and he appointed me to his service. He appointed me. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Let me tell you, Paul hated the church. He hated everything that Jesus stood for. Every person who proclaimed the name of Jesus, he hated them. And he went out of his way to persecute them putting families into prison if they said they were Christians. He said, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul says, I am the worst. If Paul says he's the worst, that means you're not the worst. You are not the worst of sinners. Whatever you have done, it does not disqualify you from what God has for you. 
It does not disqualify you. Those things do not define you. Paul says, in spite of these things, God appointed me to His service. He says, I was the chief of sinners. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for you and I who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. That's good. You are not disqualified. doesn't matter what you've done. It's our last point, number 10. You will never have as much of God as others do. You've been coming to church, you've been going to small group, and you've seen that there are people who seem to have such a rich, such a sweet, such a precious relationship with God, who when they pray, it's like they're praying directly to Jesus sitting next to them. When they read the Bible, it's like the words are jumping off the page and they make perfect sense. They seem to grow in what God has for them. But for you, the devil has said to you, you will never have what they have. You've tried it and it hasn't worked. Settle for what you've got. One day you'll see him in heaven. But for now, for this time on this earth, this is all you have. Don't try and reach for more. Don't try and achieve more. This is it for you. That is a lie from the devil. Acts chapter 2, one of my favorite scriptures. Peter is preaching to these guys who have just become Christians. They're in the process of giving their lives to the Lord. They're in the process of saying, what must we do to be saved? And he says, in those last days, the day that you and our friends are living in, he says, God says, I will pour out my spirit on four or five people. Only those who get up at five o'clock in the morning and those who have an especially awareness, an especially awareness of who I am, on five people, those five people are going to be blessed abundantly. The rest of you take what you can get. Can I hear a bit of protest? Is that rubbish? He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. In other words, if you're young this morning, if you're young and you're young and you're listening to me and you say, when I'm grown up, when I'm an adult, maybe when I push through those awkward teenage years, then I'll be able to really take hold of my relationship with Jesus. No! If you are young this morning, take hold of Him with everything you have. Everything you have. Don't wait. God isn't. He says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. If you're old, he says, old men will dream dreams. You're here and you might think to yourself, I'm old. I only came to the Lord in recent years of my life. I've missed out on so much time. I'll never be able to catch it up. God says, no, I will pour out my Spirit on you. Pour it out on you. Even on my servants, the least of all, I will pour out my Spirit. He pours it out. It's not a measuring out. You can have this much. You can have a full portion. You're kind of quirky. I'll give you a lot. I'll give you a bit extra. You're cool. I'll give you a bit more. You, uh, it's not a measuring out. It's a pouring out. Pouring. Friend, if you position yourself where the pouring is happening, you will get wet. You position yourself. Say, Jesus, I need it. I need a pouring out from your spirit. You position yourself and you will experience what God has for you. He doesn't show favoritism. Stop comparing yourself. And if you do, look at people and say, God, I want what they have and more. 
and more. Don't look and say, I'll never have what they have. Take hold of it, friend. Take hold of it. Position yourself. Say no to other things so that you can say yes to that. God has it for you. I promise you that. I promise you that. Let's close with this scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, heaven is watching us. We are surrounded by these witnesses who are watching us and saying, Go, grow, get strong, be strengthened, be confident. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the writer of our life, the one who started our life. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus and the perfecter, the one who is going to bring it to perfection of our faith, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Let's skip forward a couple of verses, chapter, uh, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but healed. Every lie that the devil would try and bring to you is to weaken your arms, it's to drop them. It's to weaken your knees so that you cannot move forward. The writer to Hebrews says, strengthen your arms. Throw off these lies. Throw off the sins that entangle. Throw them off. You do it. You don't need other people to do it for you. You do it. Throw it off. Strengthen your feeble arms. Raise them in worship. Raise them in adoration. Put them to the task that God has for you. Strengthen your feeble knees. Do not be lame, but be healed. Amen? Don't let these lies, these insipid words from the devil rest over us like a shroud of darkness that causes us to lose sight and lose vision. But throw it off and move in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.